Well, good morning. Ah, I'll make it go outside. No. I want to thank you so much for coming, and I'm so glad you're here. And I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. I know it's a, it's a cold day today, but it's awful warm in here, and so I just want to thank you so much for coming. I think one of the things that's really kind of funny is that in the last service, we had two families here for the first time that were looking for a home church. Today, get out of here. Isn't that amazing? I thought that was so cool. Anyways, so, um, so here we are today, and I am so excited about today. In fact, I've been waiting over a year to preach this sermon. Somebody said to me today, they said, Pastor Bob, why are you wearing a tie? I didn't think you wore ties anymore. And my answer is simply this, is because today's game day. Now, I grew up in a generation, and this is what I believed, is that on game day, when you look good, you feel good, and when you feel good, you play good. All of those athletes that played for me on game day, they were dressed in ties, and oh, they looked good. Now, I want to I share with you just about something that God has laid, not just on my heart, but on the leadership of the church over the last year. And so I hope you're excited, but one of the things that I'm hoping that you'll do is that if the Spirit moves you, it's okay to clap or get excited about what God is doing, okay? And in case you don't, we've now lined the pews with electrical outlets or electrical cords, so if, a few, if you feel a, a jolt, that's the time that you should jump up, okay? All right. So, you know, when I was younger, um, back in the day, um, in fact, um, at 209 Hawthorne Drive, West Bend, Wisconsin, and I'm glad I'm not there today. But at that, at that house, if you were to hang around my house, if you were to be around the backyard, you might see something like this, okay? Ladies and gentlemen, a six foot seven all American forward, averaging 23 points a game, please welcome Bobby Beckler. And at that moment, I would run out of the garage dressed in my dad's sweaty West Bend Lithia basketball uniform that he just wore the night before, and the crowd would be going, ah, ah, ah. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> but that's what they would do, and it was awesome. It was one of my favorite times. Now, here's what I want you to know. It's awesome because it's always been awesome like that. I mean, just think about it. I can remember when I was a player. I can remember when I was coaching. I can remember now when I watched my favorite team on TV. One of the best times of the game is in the beginning when the team runs out on the field, right? Think about it. The band's going. In football, they call it the tunnel walk. The band's going. All oh, the fans are screaming, hollering. Even last night in that frigid temperature, I didn't see one fan sitting on their backside when the Chiefs came onto the field. Everybody thinks it's 0-0. Zero, zero. Even the Broncos have a chance. Oh, I didn't mean that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? How many of you have seen the movie Rudy? All right. You remember... At the end of the movie, and the team is getting ready to go out on the field, and Rudy is now given the opportunity to dress. He has no more eligibility left, 
And now he gets to dress and run out on the field. And remember one of the team captains that said, hey, Rudy, come here. And Rudy comes up there and he says, you're going to lead us on the field. Are you ready for this? Remember what Rudy said? I've been ready for this all my life. That's kind of how I feel about today. Today, we're simply getting ready to run out onto the field. And my prayer is, is that by the end of this service, that all of you are as excited as the leadership is about what God is getting ready to do. All right, now, our individual, our player, the man who's going to run us out onto the field is a man by the name of Nehemiah. You've heard of him before, right? Nehemiah is going to run us out on the field. But before we do, there's something that you need to understand about the Old Testament, that if you don't understand this, you're going to miss everything else in the next five weeks. And here's what it is. How many of you have memorized the books of the Bible in the Old Testament? If you have, just raise your hand, okay? Then you would know that they go like this, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Those three books are all written about the time period that we're getting ready to study, okay? However... Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther are not listed in chronological order. That's not the order in which they happened. If they were listed in chronological order in the way that they happened, they would be Esther, Nehemiah, Ezra. And one of the things that you have to understand, and I hope that you ask yourself the question, so why is that? Did God just make a mistake and get a few things mixed up? Not at all. It was deliberate. In fact, it was the Holy Spirit who arranged it that way so that Ezra would come first. Now listen very carefully to this. The book of Esther is the story about God's revelation to an individual. The book of Ezra is the story of the rebuilding of the temple. The reason that Ezra comes first is this. Now, don't miss this. The rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the temple, the refresh of the temple, the refresh of the temple is always the first step taken in the walk back to God. Are we clear on that? This means yes. Since we are, stand out of respect for the good Lord, uh, God's word, and I'm going to read from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Here we go. Hanani One of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire." 
when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, my prayer this morning is very simple. I want the things that break your heart to be the exact same things that break mine. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So our story begins in the month of November. And the place of the story is in the city of Susa. Now, Susa was the winter home of King Artaxerxes. Okay? Everybody understand that? There's another very important character or player in the story, and his name is Nehemiah. The Bible tells us that Nehemiah was the cupbearer. Now, to be a cupbearer, there were three characteristics that you need to have. And the purpose of the cupbearer basically was he was the king's most trusted confidant except for the queen. So to be a cupbearer, you had to, number one, you had to be well-versed in court issues, in legal issues, okay? The second thing is that you had to be well-versed in politics. And the third requirement was is you have to be handsome, okay? Those were the three requirements. So as far as I look, all of you guys look like you'd have been good, all right? Now, there's one other thing that you need to know about this story that kind of helps us to understand a little bit about what's taking place, and that is this. Nehemiah has never been to Jerusalem. He was born in captivity. It's very important that you understand that. Okay, now, so one day, Nehemiah's going about his work, and the Bible says that he sees one of his brothers, Hanani. Obviously, he would be overjoyed, but it wasn't just Hanani, it was some of his friends. Well, let's pick up the story there and kind of see what happens here. Here we go. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So what's going on here? Well, here's what's happening. You remember now that the very first group that captured the Israelites and God told them that if you are disobedient to me, I am going to exile you. In other words, there would be a group that would come in, and that first group was the Babylonians, and they removed them from Israel. They removed them from Jerusalem, and they spread them all over the world. This is now after Babylon, and now the Medo-Persians are in, tra- are in charge. They are the world power. There are groups of Israel that have now began to go back to their homeland. A man by the name of Zerubbabel. Can you imagine having a name like that? I think I'd just call him Bub. But Zerubbabel was the first man who led the first group back. Ezra led the second group back. Now, here's what you need to understand about where we are in this story. 
The temple has now been restored. It's been refurbished, but the walls are in ruin. I want to show you something, a phrase, and see if you've heard this before. Big doors swing on small hinges. How many of you ever heard that before? Here's what it means. Big things come from little things, and little things turn into big things. Here's what I mean by that. When I was a freshman in college, in between my freshman and sophomore year in college, my dad was living in Winfield, Kansas, my mom and dad. He was the president of St. John's College during that time. So I was home from college. I came home, I was going to spend the summer with them, and then I was going to go back to Minnesota. One of the things that my dad and I liked to do is we loved to play softball, so we got on the church softball team. And so every Monday and Thursday, we played softball down at the fairgrounds in Winfield, Kansas. It was really good. It was a lot of fun playing with my dad. One night, I'm on my way down there, and I get down there. We play our game, and about halfway through the game, I had come around third base, and I had scored, and I walked back to the dugout, and when I sat down, I turned and looked in the stands. On one of the bleachers was the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life. And I double took, you know what I mean? They're right. Three times she said, okay. But here's what happened. I looked up there and I saw my wife. I never knew I was gonna meet my wife or see my wife on that night. All I was doing was going to play softball. Now guys, you know what I did, don't you? I asked the guy next to me, see that girl sitting on the, on the bleachers up there? Uh-huh, who is that? And they said, that's Lori Bowling. What's my next question? Does she have a boyfriend? I don't think so. In my mind, I'm thinking, oh, she does now, right? (laughs) All right, so here's what I want you just to remember. You never know. It's the little things in your life that God can cause you to do or ask that will lead to something big. So here's what I want to challenge you with first this morning. What's the question that you need to ask? What's the little thing that you may need to be doing that God is getting ready to do something big? Just think about that. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days, I mourned and I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So what's happening here? Well, this group of guys came back and Nehemiah asked a simple question. What was the question he asked? He asked, hey, how are things going in Jerusalem? That's all. But what happened, he never saw coming, you guys. He was overcome with emotion. When they told him what was happening in Jerusalem, he didn't understand what happened to him, and all of a sudden, he was a basket case. What just happened? God touched his heart. And what I want you to understand is that every time in my life that I've seen God touch a man's heart or an individual's heart, you know what the result is? He breaks it. And he breaks it for the things that are of him. Nehemiah was devastated because of what was happening 
in Jerusalem. So let's look a little bit clearer about what actually God did. Nehemiah felt the burden. You see, what God did is God put on Nehemiah's heart a burden. It's the same burden that I carry. It's the same burden that every pastor carries for his church. It's the burden that never leaves your shoulders. It's there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks out of the year. It's always there, and the burden is for the ministry of God. Now, what I want you to understand about this is what happened when Nehemiah heard that Jerusalem was in ruins. What did he do? He was overcome with emotion. Here's something that I want you to remember very carefully. Your reaction to what God reveals to you is what will bring about your next action. So with what I'm about to share with you this morning is what is your reaction? This church was finished in 1987. It was, there was nothing like this church from north all the way down to Houston. This church, when they built this church, was patterned after the Crystal Cathedral in California. Some of you may be aware or are familiar with that church. But this church made a presence. And on the very first Sunday when people came to worship in this place, there were over 5,000 people in the first two weeks that came to worship at Central Community Church. All I simply want to tell you is this, is God put a vision on a man's heart, and from that vision, God raised up a church that would impact uh, uh, not just a community, but a nation and a world. Well, the church is now 30-some years old, and guess what? We got some problems. We have 35 air conditioners on this place. Guess what? They're going out. We've also got some other problems that I just want to make you aware of. Let me show you pictures of what they may look like, okay? See that picture? If that were at your house, would you let that just lay like that? That's right out here under our camel doors. That's all damage that has happened because of water. Take a look at this. This is our parking lot. How many of you have lost vehicles or children in the parking lot? I had a lady, no kidding, a couple months, she came to the church. She goes, Pastor Bob, this is my church home. I found my church home. I was so excited. And then she said, however, you need to know, I think I lost my car in one of your potholes. Okay? But you know what that's like. But here's what I want you to know. It's even grown worse than that. If you go out in the grand foyer and you just go over here to the right to the, to the stairs there, and you look at the wall, you can see all of the water damage along that wall that happened from all the melting of the snow. But if that's not good enough, God gave us another reminder. You know what it is? Look right up there. You can see part of the wall coming off there. Can you see where I'm looking about over there in the light there? That's part of the wall coming off there. Now, I don't know about you, but my question for you is, how does that make you feel? This didn't just happen yesterday, but a lot of this has been going on for the last year. All right, so let's ask the question then. What's the big deal about walls? 
right? I mean, okay, Nehemiah, Jerusalem, the, the walls are not. What's the big deal about walls? Here's the big deal. In the story of Nehemiah, the walls were a picture. Now think about this. Jerusalem is the city of God. It was the place of his dwelling, but it also represented the center of life for all the world. And when you looked at Jerusalem at this time, at this point in the story, its walls are all in rubble. Here's the message that it sent to the rest of the world. The work of the God of Israel has come to an end. That's the picture that people had. Now, what's the big deal about that? The big deal about that is this. Do you remember what God told the children of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt? He said, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get Egypt out of you, and then I'm going to make you a people who is totally dependent upon me. Why? So the rest of the world will see that I am the God who loves and cares for his children. You see, the walls needed to be rebuilt so that the world would once again understand that the purpose of God was continuing. What's the purpose of God? Redemption. That's the purpose of God. The redemption of a lost world. You see, when those walls were rebuilt, guess what? The rest of the world realized once again, ministry is happening, but not just at that point, but for all time to come after that. And I want you to understand something, and I want you to understand this picture. Whether you know it or not, our community looks at this church, not just as a church where people attend, but as a pillar in our community, And even though they may not believe in the God that we believe in, our our being a pillar gives them hope. And what I mean by that is is that even though they may not believe in the God we believe, they know that if they ever need to go somewhere to find out about who this God is, guess what? They know one of the places that they can come. Just recently, there was a new, a new Barna um, table that had come out, and they have now said that 84%, 84% of all people now since the coronavirus has, that's ended, 84% are now willing to look at something through spiritual eyes. This church needs to continue to be a pillar in our community. Now, watch this. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. This is Nehemiah praying now. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. 
Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen. Here it is. He's talking about Jerusalem as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people. Oops, went one too far. Sorry. Whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. In the last year, your leaders, your pastors, your church council has been seeking wise counsel. We have been praying And in addition to that, we've been strategizing how can we keep this church going forward without allowing ministry to cease. And as we've prayed, God has directed us. Remember last week, what did we do? We spent a whole day just celebrating all the things that God has done through this church. And you know what? We want to continue to do that. We don't want this to stop. In fact, right now we're looking at how can we do this in even bigger ways? Now watch. I'll get there. Nehemiah now commits himself to the work. And here's what he does. If you go into the New Living Translation, it tells us that after four months, four months of prayer, now Nehemiah goes before King Artaxerxes. And all I simply need to know, you to know is this. Prayer changed Nehemiah. You see, as he was praying, all of a sudden, God began to work in Nehemiah and he began to align Nehemiah with his plan, and Nehemiah began to gain strength. And not only did he gain strength, but he gained boldness. And when the time was right, Nehemiah knew, I'm going to the king. And he went to the king, and he asked him for time off. But not only that, he asked him, will you give me all the materials that I need to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem? That guy's got guts, right? But what you also need to know is that boldness came from his time in prayer, but it also came at great risk. You know why? Because if you went into the presence of the king and you demonstrated sadness, off with your head. Now take a look at this here. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? Now you can tell from that, guess what happened? God gave him favor, and God answered his prayer. But the question that I want you to know or I want you to see is, did you notice who happens to be sitting next to the king? Who's sitting next to the king? It's the queen. Who's the queen? Her name is Esther. How in the world could a Jewish man get so close to the king except God put 
Esther there, and Esther was that, that, that strength that he needed knowing that God was at work. And what did Nehemiah do? He committed to the work of God, and God showed up. And here's what I want you to know. In this capital campaign, in this refresh initiative, I want you to know your leaders are committed to this. We have been working over a year on this, and especially in the last five or six months. And one of the things that we determined as leaders is this, leaders go first. In other words, we went to the leaders of the church and we asked the leaders, we want you to make your commitments to this campaign first. This $5.4 million campaign that we want to take care of over a three-year process. Now, do you remember when Joshua was getting ready to lead the children of Israel across the Jordan? Do you remember what God told Joshua to do? He said, you get the leaders, the priests, and you tell them to pick up the Ark of the Covenant and to walk into the waters that was overflowing. Tell them to walk first, to demonstrate faith first. And when they get to the waters, I will part them. That's what we wanted to demonstrate to you. All right, now, so we've done that. And we have committed our funds to this. And out of the $5.4 million, I want you to see how much your leadership has already donated to this. Isn't that awesome? Man, I'll tell you, I am so proud of our leaders. Almost $3 million have already been committed to this because your leader stepped out. I don't know about you, but I want to find a, follow a group of leaders like that. They believe so much in what God is doing is we've already raised over half of the money that we need of the $5.4 million that we need to get the job finished. But now I want to tell you the church, we can't do it by ourselves. We've done our part, so what we're asking you to do now is to come alongside of us and to interlock arms with us and take this journey and raise the rest of the money so that this church can continue to be a pillar in the lives of this community and this nation and this world. And I promise you this, God will show up because he's shown up in so many ways already. In these next weeks, we're gonna give you all the information that you need. I'm not asking for any money right now, but I can tell you that as a church, we have a vision. And this vision is, is to move forward and to create and to restore a church that is gonna last long after any of us in here are gonna be with the Lord. You see, what we're doing is we are planting seeds that are going to grow trees that are going to provide shade for people that you and I will never get to meet until that day when the Lord brings them home. Next week, for the next four weeks after our um, church meeting next week, for four consecutive Sundays in between services, we're going to hold forums in the, in the um, chapel. In these forums, you can come and you can watch a video so that you can see everything that we're wanting to do. 
in, on the outside, in the grand foyer, in the atrium, and then hopefully in the, in the sanctuary, you can see the pictures and you'll be able to see everything that it is that we're wanting to do, okay? Now, here's what I need you to understand. Guys, we're going to do this whether you participate or not. And here's what I mean by that. We have to do this because the damage is already being shown in the building. If you go outside in the back here by the choir lop, you will see all of the plastic that is up on the walls. They've had to remove 15 feet of bricks all the way up to the top, one brick at a time, because the water is getting in. We've got to do something or this building is going to continue to deteriorate. Now, here's the difference, why we're doing the initiative. We're doing the initiative to raise this funds so that we don't have to take money out of our budget so we can continue doing ministry. Does that make sense? So what we're asking you to do is just to come alongside of us and just do whatever God puts on your heart. And I promise you this, God will show up. In addition, we've got people coming to your life groups. They're going to share with you the video. They're going to give you all the information that you need. We've got booklets. We've got devotional booklets. Man, we're going to show you everything that you need to have so you can make a decision that's right for you. But you know what? I want you to know how excited I am that myself, my wife Lori, and our staff, our team, that we get to lead this church into the future. And I'll tell you something. When the world sees what God is doing here, I promise you, they will want to know more. Remember this. That 5.4 million, that's a big number, isn't it? But I want you to know I'm not afraid. You know why? Because I serve a big God. I serve a big God, and so do you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love you. And Lord, now we have begun the process of taking this initiative to the church. I remember when I first heard the numbers and I was thinking, oh boy. But then I remember hearing a voice and a voice that simply said, just trust me. I thank you for our leaders and I thank you for how they have gone first and what an incredible example they have set. I know there's people there that have all kinds of questions and we're gonna answer those questions as soon as we possibly can but we're not in a hurry. We're just simply following your lead. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity that you've given us to join you in what you're doing. And Lord, our faith will be tested. But God, I'm believing as I have seen you work in the last year, you are gonna do things that we never even dreamed of. And this is my promise. We'll give you all the praise, the glory, and the credit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Would you please stand? So when you leave, you can go out, and there's pictures out there, renderings out there. We have different uh, members of the council and leaders who will be out there to answer any of your questions. Just go out there and think, what could potentially happen if God shows up? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his joy, his strength, 
and faith. God bless you. We'll see you next week.